Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We've got an all-new CRE Executive Roundtable today as Joe Griffith and Chad Treadway of J.P. Morgan Chase join us for a fireside chat on the state of debt and equity within our city's commercial real estate markets. It's been a pretty busy last month for our state, with the snowstorm and Governor Abbott's declaration that Texas is fully reopening amid what we hope to be the dwindling days of the coronavirus pandemic, but Chad explains why he's optimistic about Texas, and Dallas in particular, going forward. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show if you haven't already or are listening in for the first time. We put out new episodes nearly every week featuring roundtable discussions like this one, event replays, and exclusive interviews with DFW's leading commercial real estate executives. TrackCast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Now, here is our latest CRE Executive Roundtable featuring Joe Griffith and Chad Treadway of J.P. Morgan Chase right here on TrackCast. I'm going to kick us off, and um, I assume that a few more people will um, be joining us. We'll welcome them as they come in, but I want to be... I want to capture all the possible time. We usually end up... We've got about 15... Usually we end up with about 25 people. So um, Chad and, and Joe, just so you know, a few more people would join in. Um, the last couple of times we've had, I felt really interesting conversations. I've enjoyed them. Um, last month we had kind of a, a market focus. We had um, the senior um, analyst at the Federal Reserve, Pia, and she was fantastic. We had Dale Petrosky from over at the uh, regional chamber. And it seemed like a kind of a fun idea to change it up a little bit now and spread the conversation to a a little larger look at what's going on, not just within us, but around us. So to do that, um, we uh, were fortunate to um, grab Chad Treadway from uh, JP Morgan Chase. And I'll let Joe introduce him in a minute. And we also figured we kind of changed the format just a little bit just to kind of keep it lively, keep it fun. This is supposed to be really interested, really interesting, um, and really give everybody a chance to get involved and listen and ask questions. And so to do that, hello, Andy Levy and uh, Colin Fitzgibbons, welcome. Um, to do that, we were going to kind of flip it to a fireside chat format. We're going to let Chad and Joe kind of um, jump in and kind of have a little fireside chat and then... Um, Everybody is welcome as always to unmute yourself if, if you want to and jump in. And the conversation a minute ago before everybody was really getting on was really interesting because we heard um, Ray was talking with Joe about Highland Park Village and the sales and what's happening. You know, that's a, a bit of a small cross section of the market, but it brought up a word I've been hearing a lot lately, which I think might become the new tag word, which is called revenge. Revenge shopping, revenge eating, revenge travel. It's this pent up desire to get back to life. And uh, hello, Scott Rorman. And so I expect we'll uh, hear a little bit about that in certain ways, maybe through Chad and Joe's comments. So not to belabor the point, Joe, welcome. Thank you for bringing Chad in from New York to join us. And I'm really excited to hear the conversation and have at it. 
All right. Well, I, I'm, I really do consider it to be a, a privilege to, to be able to, to introduce Chad to you all and would like just take a couple minutes maybe to get, get give you a chance to get to know him a little bit better. Chad is managing director of a real estate uh, banking business, uh, runs the business nationwide. Uh, Chad is uh, on our internal real estate council. He, he uh, sponsors our Chase Fellowship Initiative. Commercial, he's on the Commercial Observer's Top 20 Influential Leaders. He's one of the, been named one of the 50 most powerful people in real estate. He's number one on 2020 Power Finance List. Uh, he's on Crane, Crane's 40 Under 40. He serves on a number of, of boards, both, both uh, charitable and, and real estate related in, in New York. He's, he just made a tremendous influence uh, in, in, I think in our industry. And uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got the privilege of, of working, not only working for Chad, but really consider him to be a close personal friend. And I feel like he's, he's really prolonged my career and, and reinvigorated me and made me feel better about, uh, about what we're doing. Uh, Chad, uh, Chad actually has some background, and and, I, and Chad, I'll, I'll just ask you to interject as we go through some of this. You've got some background in Texas, and that uh, you, you spent some of your early years in, in Richardson, and uh, in, in DFW. I, I guess that was a few years ago. Um, and uh, Chad's father was uh, was with Lomas and Nettleton, and uh, uh, at that time, I think, and and he he spent uh, a good part of his career uh, touching real estate, uh, which I, I assume has is, is helped Chad in, in, his, in, in his direction. Uh, Chad attended Loyola University where he was a, he was a, a track star uh, on, on the track team. Um, he, uh, he started his career in M&A and, uh, you know, somebody that a lot, most of you all know, Todd Macklin, Chad, Chad joined J.P. Morgan asked Chad to take on uh, really what was a, a challenge for us back in 2008 as he, he jumped in and worked on our Florida Florida real estate, which there were there were a few few issues there. He worked through that for us. Um, and he went from there to managing our commercial term lending business in New York and, and currently uh, handles, uh, like I said earlier, handles our real estate banking business nationwide. Um, and like I said, it's been a real privilege to work for Chad. He's made huge changes to our real estate banking business. And I know with, with that, Chad, I'm going to stop. Uh, I could go on about you for, for uh, a, a good while, but uh, I guess maybe give, if you wouldn't mind, just to kick us off, uh, talk a little bit about the the bank's uh, bank stance on real estate today, and maybe maybe talk a little bit uh, about uh, uh, how you see what we've come through over the past past several months. Well, first, let me just say, Joe, thank you for the kind welcome to the Real Estate Council. I'm super pumped to be here. I got my coffee right here, so I'm going to do my best to stay caffeinated and really give you guys what's actually happening on the ground. Um, a couple thank yous just quickly. So Mike, I know you're the new chairman. Congratulations, huge honor. Uh, really excited to spend time with you. It was great to do a Zoom. I can't wait to see you all in person. Also just Bill Colley, the former chairman. Um, what a great organization. So just wanted to say thank you. I think Bill was part of the group that got me to do this. And then also Swope, I know you co-founded this. You've been a great friend, a great partner. And so just wanted to, to give you a quick shout out. But 
Look, I could not be more excited to spend the next 45 minutes, hour with you guys. Everything is on the table. So if there's anything you want to talk about, I'm certainly here to do it. Um, but just want to let you know, I've got incredibly high regard for this group and for Texas. And uh, Joe's point was the right one. I've got my cowboy boots on and I can't wait to see you guys all uh, in person, probably in the second half of this year. So the bank's stance on real estate. You guys may not know this, but JP Morgan is actually the fastest organically growing real estate lender over the last decade. We're second to Wells Fargo, but we're nipping at their heels. And our portfolio is over $100 billion of, of real estate that we hold. We also have a, a big CMBS group that's number one in the country that sits in our, in our investment bank. So I would tell you we are incredibly bullish um, our projections are that the second half of 2021 could be absolutely amazing or record setting for real estate. Um, we're actually looking at past COVID now that you've got a number of vaccines that are rolling out and the risk is just frankly a lot less. And there's so many factors that we'll get into as we go through kind of Joe's questions in our conversation, but our outlook is very bright. And then specifically, if you double click on Texas, Look, if you, if you look at all the stats, migration, uh, household formation, uh, economic growth, Texas really leads the nation and is set to do that over the next five years. And so I tell you, we feel very good um, that, that Texas is a great place to invest and a place that, that we see a bright future for. So, so Chad, um, as you... I think, gosh, it was about a month ago. You uh, you did an interview uh, with Dow on Market Watch, and you gave uh, kind of your vision for where the best opportunities were going to be going forward. Can you maybe go back and go through some of that, and also maybe point out you know areas that you think might be challenged, and with those challenges, there obviously will be opportunities too. Happy to do it. So I'd say, like, part of our job me, Joe, the operating committee at JP Morgan, just constantly looking at the market. And just like every single one of you, trying to figure out what are good bets to take, what are good risk adjusted returns, and what are places that we should be cautious. So I'll just start with some of the items that we think as a lender, we should be cautious on. But frankly, as equity, which a lot of you guys are, these may be opportunities to kind of dig through the rubble and figure out where the real diamonds are because you can get an outsized return, all right? Uh, the first place that we see weakness is obviously hospitality. So um, hotels, limited service, full service, really all around the country. If you look at CNBS data, uh, hospitality and retail both have the highest level of, of defaults. So from a banking standpoint, retail and hospitality are really difficult to finance. It's really difficult to know where the bottom is. But those are also the same places where we're now, now starting to see in investors move into retail, move into hospitality, and start to find good deals. If you think about it, you really haven't seen a ton of distressed sales across the market. So I know I've talked to many of you who are out there looking, and that's because there's so much liquidity in the market, one. But two, banks really kicked the can for six, seven, eight months when COVID hit. And so I do believe you will start to see more in the way of opportunities for you guys to buy at really good prices in the hospitality and retail sector. The sectors that we all know and love, industrial was already the darling. Um, and if you believe CBRE research, I think we need 1.5 billion square feet 
of industrial just across the United States over the next five years. And we're seeing industrial really pop up everywhere. It's an asset class that we want to go long on. And that includes spec industrial in the right location. So industrial, 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 we just can't get enough of it. Uh, multifamily has held up really well. Just to give you a stat, our multifamily portfolio, 90 days after COVID hit, had collections of roughly 94, 95%. If you look at our stats from last week, we're only down 2%. So multifamilies held up really, really well. And we've stayed above 90 for the duration of, of COVID. And we think multifamily, specifically in the Sun Belt, continues to be a great risk-adjusted return for equity and for the bank. Uh, and then we really like build a suit in places like Texas. So I know you guys talked to, I think, JP Morgan, one of your sessions just around corporate reloads and what was happening. Texas is the number one place companies are going to relocate. And so we feel very good about build the suits um, and office properties with long-term leases in Texas. Again, we don't know what's going to shake out with office over time, but the fundamentals make sense for Texas in that regard. Chad, let's maybe talk a little bit or touch a little bit more on, on, on the economy, you know, the stimulus coming through, impact there, what the, uh, just, just around big picture uh, economic trends for the, for the country. Yeah, happy to touch on it. So the first thing I just wanted to go through are, I'm sure half the folks on this call are like, oh my God, COVID's been terrible. Things are never going to get better. The other half is probably incredibly bullish. So I thought what I would do is just take a step back. I was looking at this this morning as I prepared just to spend some time with you guys. And I just pulled up an email that a friend had sent me. And it, it was really kind of neat. And it goes through um, the seven financial crises that have happened in my lifetime. So I'll just read them to you guys really quickly. And I'll give you a context for how I believe you should be thinking about life kind of post COVID-19 recession. All right, so here we go. Here's the seven. Stock market crashed in 1987. The 1990 bankruptcy of Drexel, along with the savings and loan crisis. Uh, 1998 Russian financial collapse. 2000 internet bubble collapses. 2008 financial industry collapse. 2011 sovereign debt collapse. And then 2020 coronavirus. So I just started thinking about it. And when you really take a step back, guys, here's what happens. Each time you think the world's gonna be over. I don't know about you, my parents called me. They said, Chad, it's the end of the world. Get a, a freezer full of food. You need a hazmat suit. We don't know what's gonna happen with COVID. Do you guys just remember back to the news when this thing first hit in March of 2020? No one knew what was gonna happen. Were we gonna get a vaccine? Were we ever gonna get back to normal? So every single time, the last seven recessions, people freak out, emotion takes over, and you believe it's the end of the world. The other thing is you get a massive spike in unemployment, right? So unemployment went to 15% pretty much overnight. It's been coming down ever since, but that happens every single time. And in uh, each time, there's irrational thought process that this is the end of the world. So what I would say is, look, here's what's already happening. Unemployment is already coming down. So we're hovering right around 6%. GDP, we continue to raise our forecast, which is amazing. Real estate portfolios across the country, if you look at our real estate portfolio at JP Morgan, we don't have a single charge off. We don't have a single late payment during COVID. 
So all the regulation that was put in during the great financial crisis actually is working. And then I'd also say um, that each time you see the stock market recover to levels that were not seen before the crisis, which is already happening. So all I want to say to everyone on the call, especially those that feel like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end is I believe we're already, you know, getting past COVID-19. If we're not already past it as a bank, we're looking past it. It's not to say that we won't get some type of econ economic turbulence here in the next 12 or 24 months. I can't predict that. But I do feel very confident that we're on the right trajectory. I think putting more liquidity in the system is going to create even more bubbles. So you're going to see the stock market continue to go up and climb. You're going to see banks continue to get more deposits. Um, what's that going to do as the stock market goes up? If I'm a CIO, a chief investment officer of any university of endowment and my equity portfolio grows, I need to rebalance with alternatives. Alternatives, just like real estate, a natural inflation hedge, and that should drive cap rates down in the short term. So that's kind of our view, Joe. I probably gave you more than you were looking for, but I think just a vote of confidence, just to remember kind of where we are and what happens in every cycle. You know, not that not all this. That's I think that's real, real helpful, Chad. You know, I I sit here and I think of, think back. A number of us on the phone were here in 1980s Texas, and you, you know, I, granted it was a Texas, more of a Texas phenomenon, but. Those of us that were there, or a lot of us that were there, wondered if real estate would ever have any value again in Texas. And you know, things. You know, if you th we think back to that time, it was, you know, as a as a lender and fairly young lender at that point in time. I, you know, I never made a loan that didn't have at least uh, eighty percent loan to value. The challenge with that was that meant a hundred percent plus of cost loans, and and you know, we ended up paying for the. For that, uh, for that aggressive lending behavior, um, and everybody on the phone that was there at the time paid for it. It was a, it was a challenging time, and it took us, you know, a good seven years to get through it. Um, and and you think about yeah, where we are now. This has been bad, bad nationwide, but it's, it's, it's for Texans. It's not been as generally as deep a problem as we had back then. So we've seen, seen worse. Uh, at least yeah, I mean, look. To add on, what I'd say is like, look, Texas is the most resilient state. You guys have the most resilient people. It's one of the most resilient economies. And so the real question for all of us as leaders to be asking ourselves is what are we doing to improve our business during COVID? I'll never forget one of our big clients had an office uh, just outside Central Park, right in the teeth of COVID. I went to the person's office huge glass windows. So I'm looking out and as I turn around on the guy's um, credenza was this little sign that said, trouble means opportunity. Trouble means opportunity. I'll never forget it. And so the question for all of us is when things happen, which they always will, what are we doing as leaders? What are we doing as executives? What are we doing to capitalize on it and ultimately make our companies, make the real estate council, make the industry better coming out of it? And so that's really the stance that, you know, I encourage everyone to take. And that's certainly what we're trying to do at JP Morgan. Yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't rehearse this. So I may, may hit you with some things here that you, you hadn't really, really thought as much about, but any, 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 uh, any thoughts on uh, impact of the, the COVID relief, the, the next round and how that's going to, how that's going to impact real estate, Chad? Yeah. I mean, I, I think like certainly what we saw on the first, 
as soon as PPP hit, was the banks just sucked up a ton of deposits. There's too much liquidity in the system. So I think just in our own business in real estate banking, we went from something like 12 or 13 billion in deposits all the way up to 18 billion, then it reached 20 billion. So what that means for all of you, when liquidity hits the system is that banking spreads typically go down because I've now got to find a place to put all these deposits. And that comes in the form of lending to all of you. So I think what you're going to see as the vaccine rolls out and as banks get more certainty and as banks have to learn, loan out those deposits, which we're going to see more, you know, of the trillion dollar stimulus plan kind of hit consumers and flow to the bank is that I expect spreads just to tighten for all of you, which is a good thing. And I do expect cap rates to, uh, to tighten as well. Yeah, I, I guess it would change, change direction a little bit here on, on this. I, I, um, you know, I, I think is one of the challenges that, that we're seeing is, is in, in a way changing demographics. And you know, Texas is certainly no exception to that. And you know, I, I guess it's probably not lost on you, everybody's face that you can see on this screen is, is uh, we're, we're all, we all have some similarities. And you've, you've, you've excelled during a time where there hadn't been as much focus on this uh, as there has recently. I, could, you, could you talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, of diversity to JP Morgan and, and, and go beyond that? Let's talk a little bit about importance to our industry and maybe even talk a little bit about the, the, the $30 billion uh, commitment we've made to, uh, to improve the uh, uh, diversity uh, situation in the country. Yeah, look guys, ESG is a huge part of the narrative today. It is more than ever. I'm getting more calls from chief investment officers, bankers, CEOs, employees, just around diversity issues, around ESG issues. And it's something that um, I think look, is gonna become more and more important as time goes on. Let me just hit you with some of the economic facts that, that have really been eye-opening to me. I think this will kind of just blow you away. So the first thing I thought about when you think about diversity just as a banker is like, what does it mean in terms of numbers? Because so many times you hear people talking about diversity and yes, it is definitely the right thing to do. Yes, I know the Real Estate Council is making a ton of progress on it. I know the young guns are working on it as well. But if I told you that minorities had buying power of $4 trillion, I would be willing to bet that every single one of you would say, how do I adapt and change my business to capture some of that? If I told you that Texas also was undergoing amazing demographic changes, I am sure that all of you guys as amazing CEOs and executives would say, we have to evolve our company to get ahead of that. Because when you think about it, there's two types of companies. Companies that evolve and win are companies that don't and lose. That's it. So here's some of the stats that, that are happening in, in Texas that kind of blew me away. If you looked at the population of the US census back in 2010, the white population was roughly 50% of Texas. If you look at the US Census Bureau at the end of 2019, the white population had dropped to around 40% of the overall population, which means that your Hispanic population and your black population are growing at a much faster rate. 
So if you're a CEO looking at this, just like all of you guys, I know that it's time to just evolve and think about where the puck is going, not where the puck has been. And diversity is the right thing to do, but it also is the right economic thing to do for your company. Because the buying power of the black and Latino and Asian population is only increasing. So that's, I mean, that's just the, the business case for it. I'd also say too, just, we all want the best talent and we all want different ideas. And it's been great getting to know people like Joe because um, Joe and I are so different. And so what I love is when I've got people that are all different around the table and we're talking about all of you, our clients, we come up with solutions that are different, that are exciting, that are new, because we all see it from different ways. Uh, JP Morgan's been a real leader. I'm gonna challenge every single one of you to lead in this area too. So we put our money where our mouth is, $30 billion over five years to really fight racial uh, inequality and to drive change. Most of that is actually going to the real estate industry. So 14 billion of our 30 billion, it will be focused on affordable housing. Affordable housing across the country is a big issue, even in places like Texas, where housing isn't as high as places like New York or California. Um, we believe that if we can help people actually own a home, uh, in, in places like Texas that, that the world would be a better place. So for us, it's been a, a real driving force, but it's also a real economic, um, you know, it's really economically motivated just to, just, just to help people that, that really reflect the United States. Joe, can I jump in on that for a second? Yeah, please do, Mark. I'd like everybody else to know, um, I actually met Chad over the summer. I was invited to a conversation with Jeff and Joe and one or two other people Chad's talking about economic impact, four trillion buying power, a change of uh, census. The conversations with Chad back then weren't about opportunities for JP Morgan to make money. Wasn't about identifying opportunity. It was about ameliorating the, the ills that are still in our system with uh, diversity, with racism inherently systemic issues and um, it was really wonderful to talk to somebody in New York with a big bank who wasn't focused in that conversation on making money it was focused on how do we help the communities in which we do business and make money so um, kudos to JP Morgan kudos to Chad and Joe for really kind of taking a lead on that I just wanted to kind of say that because I don't want everybody to hear only the context of how you make money on this, but I found a deeply hearted sense of what's rightness for the, all of us and working on that. So I think that needs to be added to the conversation. Thank y'all for doing that. And Chad, thank you for taking focus on our community with your efforts and, and your resources. And um, I appreciate it personally. I know we all individually and collectively appreciate that from you, from Joe, Joe's always been there. Glad to have you in, but also from the bank. So really wanted to say that. So maybe, maybe we take this opportunity. I, I know others on the phone have have questions and and Chad is a I'll say he's an open book. He'll he'll discuss anything. So so maybe we open it up for questions here. Yeah, let me just double click because I love where Ablon went on this too, which is I, and I know most of you guys on the phone. And I know the heart that you guys have for people. And I strongly believe that we're called to be leaders in all regards. So I tell Joe all the time, look, if we build a business at JP Morgan, 
that becomes, you know, we're 110 billion, if, even if it goes to 500 billion, but we all get divorced in the process, we all lose our families in the process, we hurt the community in the process, and we're not better spouses, better husbands, better wives, better friends, better parents, better everything, that we've lost it. And so what I really love about the Real Estate Council is its leadership in all aspects. Yeah. Frankly, on a lot of soul searching just around diversity, because when you look at this call, there's not a ton of it. And the thing that is so fascinating to me is most times, here's what happens. You end up hiring someone you know. So it ends up being the kid of someone you know, a friend that you went to school with, a friend in your neighborhood. If you think about your own personal network, and I had to do the same thing, by the way. But if you think about your own personal network, how many people do you have in it that don't look like you? How many people in it that don't think like you? How many people are in it that don't believe like you? And so my wife and I just personally had to take stock of that ourselves. And we had to make a very conscious decision to expand our network, to reach out to all people not just people that look or feel or think or believe like us, because we're called to lead in every single aspect of our lives, not just business. So anyway, that's like a little bit of personal philosophy, but it's a challenge for you guys just to think about your network. And so because we didn't have the right network at JP Morgan, we're partnering with a group called the Real Estate Executive Council, which is to help diverse people get into real estate. And so we're now taking all of our jobs I sit on the board of this thing. So if you guys want to hear more about it, I'm happy to share. But we're taking all the jobs that we have across the country. I'm socializing it at the Real Estate Executive Council. And then it's our job to find the best black, brown, Asian talent on the planet and then start to help people understand that real estate is a place for all people. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll give it back to Joe, is it's so hard for folks because just think about it, guys. If each of you walked into a boardroom, okay? And in the boardroom, it was 100% black people. How would you feel? Imagine it, you're sitting there, it's all black people in the boardroom, and you now have to give your spiel on why they should hire Ablon or Swope or Kali or whoever. Would you feel like they want you there? Would you feel like you've got a fair shot? Would you feel like you're gonna be accepted? Because that's like the reality I have to face all the time. Now, I, it's, no, it's nothing that's bad or good. It's just a new way for you guys to think that I'm sure you probably haven't ever had to put yourself kind of in that, in that paradigm before. All right, Joe, back to you. Well, I, I, I really would like just to open it up here. Certainly I can, we can keep going for, for a good while, but uh, any, any other, any questions from the? Yeah, I, I'll, I'm gonna jump in and lead off cause it's a kind of a, a broader question um, of a lunch group. We talked about this way, Chad, I'd love to know your thought on this. We talk about the 1.9 trillion or whatever the stimulus number is and how that adds liquidity in the system and drives our economy. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the following. One could hypothecate that there's a global arms race kicking into a new chapter of economic competition between countries who can kick off their economy first and not be held down I saw a projection of a 6.5% growth of our GDP versus other GDPs 
can you talk about how the bank is looking broader? Because we know that we're not an island. We are deeply interconnected with the Russias, the Chinas, the Indias, the global economy, the Euro, and how that works. Can you talk about your thought about maybe specifically the infusion of that money, how that is catalytic to our economy and how that works in the broader sphere of the global economic system? Something we think about a lot. I mean, there's really two big things, right? So we're thinking a lot about inflation and we're thinking a lot about yields. So I think it's something like 15, $16 trillion across the world are actually of debt is negative yielding. Think about that. Like, do you ever think you'd see a situation where you gave a bank a hundred bucks and they gave you 95 back and you were okay with it? That is what is going on around the world. Comparatively, if you look at real estate returns in the United States versus pretty much anywhere else, you feel really, really good about a risk adjusted return on a hard asset that's inflation protected, call it seven to 15, depending on which strategy that you're employing. So the first thing I constantly look at is just what is going on with yields around the world and how does the United States compare to yields globally? I just, I always do it. It's a good calibration. I would recommend everyone look at that too. And I always look at how much of the world's debt is trending negative because it will just help calibrate for you what's happening. I then go and look at fixed income. So if you look at bonds, what's high yield trading at? Um, how many US bonds are trading in a negative territory? And then how does that compare to real estate? And I tend to calibrate because of you know my seat on what I'm seeing come through our investment committee in terms of just yields and then what's going on in the world. So the first thing I'm always looking at is what's the stimulus gonna do to yields? A lot more capital in the system. I think we're gonna continue to see trillions and trillions of dollars of negative yielding debt, which really bodes well for all of you. The second thing I look at a lot at is inflation. So at JP Morgan, we are running a lot of scenarios around inflation, but here's what I'll tell you. This is my personal opinion, not the bank's opinion. The government can't pay a huge interest rate number. Just the debt service on, on what we're doing today, <laughs> the level of debt works because interest rates are so low. So my personal view is that interest rates will stay low in the short term, and potentially the medium term. It could go up long term if we get things like infrastructure, the economy continues to move. I think it's more of a midterm to long term problem. And the last thing I'll say just on the competitiveness of the United States versus the world, I still strongly believe in the US for a number of reasons. But the biggest one is if you look at the headquarters of companies that really impact the world, companies like Google, Facebook, all the FANG companies, the innovation that's coming out of Silicon Valley, what's still happening in banking, what our leadership position looks like just in the world economy. I feel very, very strongly that the U.S. still has an amazing, amazing runway and hand to play. Just innovation-wise, industry-wise, yield-wise, monetary policy-wise, in spite of some of the political issues that we've had, call it over the last, you know, 12 months. Open forum, everybody pile in, please. I've never seen Trey Morrisbeck not have a question. Oh, no, I, I just, <laughs> Chad, you're welcome anytime because I appreciate your optimism. Um, and I share most of it. So I, I agree with most of what you said. I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about what's going on with the banks. You talked about it, but I, 
we all track this stuff. Banks have seen unprecedented asset level growth. I think the largest asset growth in the history of banking in the fourth quarter of last year, all time high cash levels. A buddy of mine at Bank of America last week told me they had a trillion dollars of liquidity effectively to try to deploy in the face of really diminished loan demand. So you've got all, you know, I'm kind of curious about how you're managing the balance sheet in a way today that you probably never had to in the past. And then the second part of that question is what's going on in the regulatory environment? Because I'm also starting to hear some anecdotes that that's shifting to the negative after a fairly accommodative policy in 20 for the right reasons. So I know that's a lot, but maybe you can come in on both of those topics. Happy to. So I just say uh, first, just on liquidity flowing into banks, this typically always happens in a recession. So banks balance sheets ballooned back in 2008, they ballooned in, in 2000. And it's, a, it's really the kind of the common problem when rates go to zero or rates decrease, the banks get a whole bunch of deposits. <laughs> so that, that happens pretty much like clockwork. And then we're stuck with a problem because on one hand, you've got your risk team saying, oh my gosh, economic uncertainty. We don't want you to lend, batten down the hatches, raise reserves. Let's get ready for a hundred year storm, no matter what happens, right? You might have the sniffles, your risk team thinks you've got Ebola. That's just what happens. So we're in a, we're in a scenario right now where all the banks have kind of gone through COVID. We're a year into this thing. Most of the bankers I'm talking to are saying, okay, our risk team now acknowledges that the economy is not going to melt down. We now acknowledge that the end of COVID is in sight. And we now have to start thinking about growing our portfolio. We have to start growing our lending balances. So that's happening in real time right now. It probably started to really become a topic 90 days ago. So the way we're going to manage things are the banks looking for places to put out capital in the terms of good in terms of good loans. And because hospitality and retail are still struggling, you're going to see banks compete for multifamily, multifamily construction, multifamily term loans. You're going to see banks compete for investment grade build a suits. You're going to see banks compete for office product with long-term leases with really good companies. You're going to see banks compete for subscription lines as many of you are raising funds, it's a very low risk way to put out dollars. And then you're going to see banks support middle market companies. Because again, we believe in the middle market, those companies are going to grow over time. If you made it through COVID, chances are you will make it beyond that. And so banks will start to get more excited. It's going to boost the entire economy. And you should see banks take those deposits and begin to lend those. Specifically when rates are zero, there's no other place to get a return, um, but just to lend, lend out the capital. Jeff, we've seen we've seen pretty significant change in in pipeline over the last uh, last 30, 60 days. I, you know, it, you know, certainly in our region, uh, it, it, or Texas to Florida, and we're we're seeing significantly more uh, uh, opportunity and that that really fits within what we're trying to do than we did than we did uh, most of last year. Yeah, our pipeline's more than doubled. So the bank's pretty excited to put on assets. And then from a regulatory standpoint, I still believe it's too early to tell. So the Trump administration was very pro-business, anti-regulation. We're expecting the opposite now, or at least something worse than what we had. But uh, the regulators haven't come to us yet and changed anything in a wholesale way. The regulators haven't come to us yet. And, and, and they, they really haven't changed stance yet. We're just expecting that to happen. 
Uh, Craig, Jeff, Lucy. Yeah, I, uh, I can Bill jump. I'll jump. I'll jump in. Hey, Chad. Uh, Y'all, because your bankers spent a lot of time look at the risk, and you painted a uh, really optimistic picture. That I think we all agree with. What are the risks? What are the, the bigger risks? All you being a bank, you personally too. Uh, C could send this in a different direction. So there's a number of things that we're monitoring. Um, and I'd say, look, the political climate is the biggest unknown for us. Tax policy is another big one we're worried about. Um, and regulation. So it's just, those are really difficult things for banks to understand. We're going to know more as the Biden administration continues to kind of focus on what their key initiatives will be. And I, you know, if you look at real estate, the other thing too is cap rates can't go to zero. So if you think about just where cap rates are today, Slope, if I called you up and said, hey, would you ever be excited to buy a four and a half or five cap in the context of, you know, your career five, six, seven, eight, 10 years ago, you'd say absolutely not impossible. And now a lot of our clients are saying, oh my gosh, I can get a five cap. That's actually not a bad deal. So in the long term, if you're a long-term holder of real estate and you're buying assets that have got low cap rates today, it's just kind of a difficult proposition because we just don't know what's going to happen over time. And so I'd say rental levels, cap rates um, being so thin, just given where rates are is something we're watching pretty closely as well. Good. Okay. Now here, here's the tough question for you. You got a hundred dollars, your personal money. Where are you putting it today? <laughs> and jewelry Any for other? his wife. And I'm talking about I'm talking about you personally, not the bank, but you personally. You know, I love you, but I couldn't wait to ask this question. You know what's interesting? So I'll give you two answers. I'll give you a real estate answer and then I'll just give you an investment answer. So I, I really personally um from just an investing standpoint, believe in the scalability of Apple's business model and the simplicity of it. So I, I'd say, look, you're going to pick one stock. I really like Apple. Again, I'm not giving any advice here. Um, but I think if you just think about the scalability and how focused they are, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that's got a ton of room to run. From a real estate standpoint, I would probably be in stick-built multifamily in the Sun Belt. I just, I really like it. We're doing a lot of it. I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't think it's overbought yet. And uh, I think it's got, it's got good runway. Well, let me jump in a question on that. On um, stick built multifamily, obviously our lumber's gone crazy. Our steel's going up there. And how much rent inflation can our residents take? It's not debt driven, but all these other factors um, keep worrying me and I keep seeing us hit highs that I wish we didn't have to hit in rents in the suburbs. I, you know, it's funny. So I look at it comparatively. So what's fascinating is we don't know what the full shakeout of COVID-19 will be, but here's what I do know. Places like JP Morgan are going to places like Plano. We're seeing all the big banks, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Bank of America, all put operations in low cost areas with high paying jobs. So I think it's a relative affordability issue. And I tend to look at it and say, 
all right, if I'm at JP Morgan and I used to have to work in New York, but now I can go to a place like Plano on a relative affordability standpoint for those people, it's an amazingly good deal. So I'm not saying that, you know, rental rates aren't up in places like Texas or Houston or Austin, but I am saying your migration trends from people from New York or California, higher cost states actually bode really, really well for you. Um, and I think Texas is something like a half a million people a year from high cost cities, just like New York. And you guys have been doing that for the last seven years, which is a really good, a really good trend to help with affordability. Um, it's absolutely happening and it's fantastic. It's um, just worrisome for the people who are already here. Yeah. And, you know, how much of the percent of their income are they having to now put against rent? And, and it's obviously growing. Um, the other thing I'd jump back to what you're saying earlier is the diversity within our communities is absolutely stunning. Uh, we're out in some property near the just north of the airport, and I feel like I'm in Toronto. So it's really <laughs> exciting. I think so too. And uh, look, it's a good point. I'm glad you recognize it, Lucy. And I think the folks that start to understand how to evolve their companies to really embrace some of this change are the ones that will win over time. Chad, to, I guess you, you, you triggered something with me in mentioning Apple. Um, you know, you've been a thought leader in the industry when it comes to technology and changes around technology for real estate. Uh, you know, you and I've talked about this, the, the pandemic may have even accelerated the trend toward better utilization of technology. Can you maybe comment a little? I know that, you know, we, we can take hours talking about that, but just uh, at a high level. Well, you know, look, I'll just ask the group. So just, let's just take personal stock of of how, how you guys are thinking. So if I asked you two years ago, would you ever rent an apartment virtually online or would your, would tenants do that? I'd be willing to guess more than half of you would say impossible. A tenant will never rent an apartment from viewing it online. Or if I asked you, what would you do if you couldn't get to your office? How do you think about checks? How do you think about paper? Could you actually run your entire operation from, from each and every employee's household, I bet you'd say impossible, couldn't happen. Or if I asked you, look, could you get rid of checks in real estate? Because it's something like 70 or 80% of rental payments are actually made via paper, whether it's cash, check, or money order. I'd be willing to bet more than half of you would say impossible. You're never going to get that out of the system. But the crazy thing about COVID was it accelerated technology. So landlords had always told me, look, we love checks and you'd go into their office, there's paper everywhere. We've all seen those landlords, paper everywhere. Stack of checks, they wanna sign each one, take out their pen, lick it, sign. They think it's a form of control. We're seeing those same landlords say, you know what? COVID's taught me that I probably should figure out how to get checks out of the system. So that if I ever have to run my company electronically again, I can do it. Tenants are now saying, look, we're used to ordering groceries. We're used to ordering all types of goods online. Can I get a completely virtual experience to rent an apartment? It's happened all over New York. It's happening in San Francisco. It's happening in Texas. It's going on. So we saw digital adoption happen there. And then the last thing I'd say, which is fascinating about technology is we're seeing SPACs happen all over the place, investing in technology focus on FinTechs. So my argument 
And something I've had to do as an executive is just learn more about technology and learn more about how it's being adopted and challenge our team, which Joe's a part of, to be thinking, where is the next ridgeline? Where's the ball going? Because real estate's kind of the last bastion. We're the post office, if you will, for adopting technology. And we just got to become Apple. Does that make sense? Yeah, let's yeah. get a follow-up question on that. Let me ask you this. 9-11 um, was horrible. And not too long after that, everybody said, everybody's going to leave New York. Nobody's going to ever build another big building or live in a tall building or office. And we look at the last 20 years and what's happened. So COVID hits and everybody starts prognosticating about the changes. And we're still very early in it. But have you seen kind of at a national basis, whether um, trend lines start to kind of consolidate that you think are durable long-term? The easy one is the shopping online and how much we buy gets delivered to our house. That's, that's the obvious. But in the other ones, have you started to see some trends that you think actually aren't trends? They're consolidating paradigm shifts. It's very early in the game, but what's your radar say? I'd tell you, Mike, it's still early days, but here's here are some of the things that are happening that are interesting. The first one is we're hearing all the tech, tech companies make these statements that you can kind of work from home forever. But then if you look at their actual footprint on leasing, they're taking space in New York. They're taking space in San Francisco. They're taking, place in, taking space in Austin. So the headline's one thing, but they're actually taking space all around the country in major markets. We are seeing other industries lose space. So net, net, net office space is declining in most major markets and the vacancy rates are elevated. So that's happening. But it's been fascinating for me to hear the tech companies say what they're saying, but then take more space across the country. So that's, that's one myth busting thing that I thought I'd throw out there. Um, I think a theme is going to be some sort of collaboration or work from home. But as all of you know, if you own your own company, it's a competitive advantage to have your team in the office. How the heck do you build culture if you can't see the junior? How do you know what the juniors are even working on? You know when you're an executive, when you walk onto the floor, how people feel, what they're going through, what they're working on. Um, I'd also say, you know, just I keep hearing companies say they're going to work from home forever. I just don't believe it. And here's why. If you've got two equal companies, Company A, everyone's in the office, everyone's collaborating, everyone's in the boardroom every Monday, everyone's working together. And then you got company B, same exact company, all right, but they're trying to do things on Zoom. You're not getting the collaboration, you're not getting the ideation, you're not getting the camaraderie, you're not getting the culture. You tell me, do you want to be the CEO of company A or company B? Everyone wants to be the CEO of company A where everyone's together. So I think what's going to happen is, People have a very short memory, especially when it comes down to being greedy. As soon as they see the companies that are together are flourishing and growing, they're gonna tell all their employees, you know what, you gotta get back into the office because you don't wanna lose. And so what, what'll happen is I think the senior people, and you know, instead of being in there five days a week may work from home on Friday and the Zoom is gonna work better and the experience is gonna be better. But in large part, I think if you wanna win, you gotta have your people in the office with you. So yeah. I think those are the two biggest ones. Would you I say want a of, I, I, I want a round of applause for that one because I am company A uh, advocate, by the way. So 
There's no doubt about it. Thank you for addressing the work from home. I know Jamie, your partner has come out and started that same conversation publicly. You know, it has to be careful, obviously. We have to get past the health concerns before we can kind of come out. But I agree that's going to snap back once we get past the health issue. I think the tech companies are going to lead, by the way. I think they're going to all of a sudden change the rhetoric publicly and say, oh, by the way, we leased 6 million square feet of space during COVID. You may not have noticed. And we want you back in the office. Um, I, I just wholeheartedly. And one word you didn't use in that description was productivity. It's one that people are kind of avoiding because everyone likes to think they're just as productive at home. I agree, collaboration, culture, all those other things, energy and knowledge as leaders, but productivity is an interesting one. And I think while some people can be productive, most cannot be as equally productive at home. And I think that's also gonna manifest itself in the coming months. So it'll be an interesting watch. And like totally just announced that they're gonna be all back in the office April 5th. That's our first company that said everybody's back. Who, Lucy? Inlink, midstream. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Just. I think I think when it gets to the point that you have everybody can has the vaccine that they want. Get what is it going to be? Ninety days, one hundred twenty days, whatever it's going to be. But when there's no excuse anymore for not having it, I just don't know how companies resist bringing everybody back. All right, folks. We have. Uh... We've got five minutes because we're going to honor the time that we were allotted. Um, so we really have time for one more question. But before we go to that, Joe, thank you so much for your service to the Real Estate Council, so much for everything you've done. Chad, thank you for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate it. This is great. We, we, this group has a lot of access locally to get the national perspective it's really great. I mean, we do have Bill Colley, which really can give us the global perspective without you, but we do appreciate you taking the time and, and to join us in the openness, okay? And I know I'm speaking on behalf of Linda by saying thank you for everything you're doing to support the Real Estate Council, our diversity, equity, inclusion. We're focused on affordable housing. We're focused on community. And J.P. Morgan Chase leading that at a national discourse is is irreplaceable thank you so much we do have a speaker program this afternoon at 12 those y'all want to jump in we have the new chief garcia jennifer stalbaugh gates we're going to be talking about public safety there's a lot going on there that has to do with social that has to do with growth that has to do with covid it's a very broad and important subject so love to have everybody um, on that call if you have to find out how just reach out to me or anybody on staff at Real Estate Council. And now, who's gonna give the last big unanswerable question to Chad before you let him go back to his unproductive, put back on his pajamas, put up his coffee, work from home day. When are y'all all gonna have ties on again? <laughs> huh. Well, even before, even before, COVID hit, Jamie had been walking around in blue jeans, a black shirt, and a blue blazer. So I think we will always dress to the standard of our clients. So if our clients are wearing a tuxedo, you will see me in tails and a tuxedo. <laughs> but more and more, we're seeing clients go to business casual. And I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that's evolving as well. All right, let me say, Lucy, a question. Let, let me just say one last thing to you guys. So one, I just want to say thank you. I've had so much fun. In fact, I woke up this morning so excited to spend time with you. 
I called Joe. I couldn't even wait till our call and just said, thank you. So I just want to say thank you for your attention. Thank you for how focused you guys are. I also just want to challenge all of you. I strongly believe that Texas is the most inclusive, is the most leadership driven, is the most pro-business place in the United States. So every single one of you have a role to play to continue that legacy, to continue to make it better, to bring in diversity, to bring in industry, to reach out and work together. So I just, I really wanted, I didn't wanna leave this conversation without really challenging you that as soon as you hang up, I want you guys to pick three things. Okay, one, what are you gonna do to help diversity? It's the right thing to do. I love where Ablon went. It's also economic, it's good. Two, what are you gonna do with someone else on the real estate executive council to help the industry? And then the third thing is, what are you doing in the difference? What are you doing to make a difference in the lives of your employees? How are you making them better? COVID has been a tough time. A lot of them don't have access or resources like all of us do. So what are you doing personally to try to make things better just every single day for all the people that you lead? So with that, look, I just want to say thank you. I love you guys. If you need anything, call me. I'm always here for you. Always. I'm always here for you. Joe is too. And I last but not least, just want to say thank you to Joe Griffith. I have learned so much from Joe. Joe is a mentor. He's a coach. He's a friend. I respect the heck out of the guy. And you guys are so darn lucky to have him on your team. So look, thank you for your time. Thank you for all you do. And I look forward to seeing you soon. That's all for today's CRE Executive Roundtable. I'd like to thank everyone who participated in this one, particularly Joe Griffith and Chad Treadway of J.P. Morgan Chase for their fireside chat on the state of debt and equity within Dallas's commercial real estate markets. Remember to subscribe to TrackCast on your favorite podcast app to get our latest roundtables, event replays, and exclusive interviews. And follow Track on social media so you don't miss an update from us. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.